Good evening. It is good to be together. If you're a guest, it's good to have you tonight. If you would, be open your Bibles to Ephesians, the fourth chapter. We'll begin there in just a few moments. We won't have slides tonight, and so you might want to grab your Bible, or you may, if you need a pew Bible there, a Bible in the pews, about page 1039, 1039. We'll begin there in a few moments. Be thinking about Friends Day. Friends Day is a wonderful day. It's just wonderful to have an emphasis where everybody's inviting their friends. Sunday morning is a great occasion. The last few years we've gone down at four o'clock to Charlie Daniels Park and we've enjoyed a four o'clock worship service there, a hot dog meal together at five o'clock and then just hanging out in games until the sun goes down or you wanna stay even longer than that. And it is really, really a blessed time. And so be thinking about that. We'll have cards and postcards and little business size cards that you can give uh, to, to those that you wanna invite. We'll probably have those Wednesday night, uh, but time is nearing, it's April the 17th. So be thinking and praying about that. And let's make sure that we do the very best that we can do to influence our friends to walk with God. There's no greater, no greater desire that we could ever have for a friend than to see them walk with God. And this is just a wonderful way to introduce them uh, to God's family. We are thankful for the generosity of this congregation. And of course, uh, we have to turn it right back to God. All we are is his conduit. He blesses us so that we can bless others. And already almost $14,000 has been given uh, today for the uh, tsunami relief efforts that will be sent to Japan. And uh, continue to pray uh, for those people. Uh, that, it's just a, a terrible situation for them and uh, we are supporting them and let's pray for them and let's do what we can do. And uh, those monies can be turned in even tonight. If there should be blue envelopes around or if not, come back to the information center if you still wanna give a check uh, for that tonight. It's wonderful to have the opportunity to do good and God is giving us that opportunity. I don't wanna just get by. And I don't want to just get through it. You're having a rough semester at school. Someone says, just get through it. it it'll be over in, in a few weeks. Just get through it. You're having a rough time at work. Just, just get through it. Just get through it. It'll, it'll pass. Just get through it. Maybe we're having a bad week this past week. And maybe we just want to get through it. When you look in the scriptures... There's not a lot of wisdom to having a desire to just get through it. But what we see over and over is the principle that God wants to take every day of our life, the good days and the difficult days, and grow us. Do you agree that we are a work in progress? If, if somebody has arrived, we would love for you to stand up and tell us about it because you're the only one. There's nobody else in this room, I don't think, that feels like they've arrived. I never have a bad day. I know how to handle every situation. I know, I know how to answer every question. I know every answer that's ever been. I've arrived. We're not there, are we? And so what, what do we need? We need to, to accept and even embrace the fact that we're constantly on the turntable and we're clay and we're being molded by God. And that's not just being molded by God when it's an easy and a bright day. That's being molded by God when he's literally walking with us through the valley of the shadow of death. 
In other words, I don't want to just get through it. I want to grow through it. I want to go through that valley of the shadow of death. I want to go through that difficult semester. I want to go through that difficult time at work or in a relationship. And I want to make sure that wherever God is leading me, that I come out on the other side two ways. Number one, with him. And number two, stronger, because God and I have been victorious through it. Brethren, the battle, the battle is raging, but the war has already been won. When Jesus Christ died on the cross and was buried and three days later he resurrected, Satan was defeated. Now the great day of judgment is simply for you and I to decide before that day which side do we want to be on. Do we want to be with the one who is the victor, Jesus Christ, or do we want to align ourselves with Satan who is the one that has already been defeated? And so we go through difficult times and what do we do? The only thing we know to do, not, not to walk by sight, but to walk by faith. 2 Corinthians 5, we don't walk by sight, we walk by faith. That difficult time, we walk by faith. What does that mean? Stay with God. Stay with God. It's the only thing we know to do. But isn't it amazing how when you go through that and maybe some time passes and we look back and we see how God used that time to grow us and to prepare us for another time, right? Any of us that's lived just a few decades, just a few years, we can see that. And it is, isn't it amazing how if we just stay with God, we literally are the work in progress, that his providence is leading us on. And like we say, hindsight's 2020. We can look back and we can see some of the powerful ways God used negative and great blessings both, negative situations and great blessings to mold us and shape us. And so then we stand and say, well, I wish I could just have that sight looking forward. That's the beauty of faith. We don't have to have that sight looking forward because we serve the one that does have that sight looking forward. He has 2020 vision into the future. And he has power to shape you and I every way that we need to be shaped. It's just, will we let him? Will we stay with him? I want to begin a lesson in Ephesians 4. And I hesitate to tell you this, but... I try to stay true to my word. I'm not going to keep you here all night, but I got a big loop I'd like to make. And so I might have to skip some stuff to make that loop, but I hope when we come back around to the beginning, you say, that kind of made sense. And if not, just forgive me for not making sense tonight, okay? Let's look in Ephesians, the fourth chapter. What, what are we trying to do? We've studied in, on a Wednesday night Bible class uh, that, that I'm in. We've studied through Ephesians a lot the last, I guess, about six months. And, and there is some things in Ephesians 4 that I told the class that I'd really never noticed uh, a certain section in there. I just never understood it. It was always frustrating to me. And, and now I, I think I have a better understanding on it. And, and then I look back in the life of David and, and I see how it connects even by application to things in David's life. And then I just see how, wow, it connects with all of life. It connects with the journey that we're on if we'll just hand the reins over to God and say, you take control. You always do a great job when you're in control and I always do a terrible job when I'm in control. So first, let's try to put the passage we're working to in its context. So give me just a few minutes in Ephesians 4 to think about some things here. 
In the first 16 verses, there's a lot of talk about growth. In other words, verse 16 talks about that all of us should be knit and shaped together and every joint does its, its work. In other words, every member does its part. And he says that causes growth in the body. So then we say, well, what is the growth that God wants? Well, notice like say at the end of verse 13, what are we trying to grow into? He's talking about the beginning of 13, the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. Notice what we're growing to. To a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Now think about this. Here's the Mount Juliet Church of Christ right now in, in 2011. And we're on our way to what? We're on our way, hopefully, we can honestly say we're wanting to grow into the stature of Jesus Christ. I want to think like Jesus. I want to talk like Jesus. I want a heart like Jesus. I want to love the things Jesus loves and hates the things that, that Jesus hates. And so in every way, our actions, our, our faith, everything, I want to be like Jesus. No, none of us are there. So what are we doing? We're growing. Only the good days? No. There's tremendous growth that can take place in the difficult days. And so every day, I want my life to be growing towards the Lord. And that should be our goal congregationally. It should be our goal individually. It said again, like there in verse uh, 15, notice, but, but speaking the truth in love may grow up in how many things? In only the good things. No, grow up in all things. Everything that is about us in our life, grow up in all things, what? Into him who is the head Christ. So we have this growth taking place that is toward the Lord, toward him. And that's why when we go back to verse three, we see a strong emphasis in these 16 verses is the unity of the spirit. If we are to be growing like Jesus, we're gonna be unified. And so verse two, he talks about our attitude. He mentions four aspects of our attitude and our lowliness and our gentleness and our long suffering and bearing with one another in love. And so as I'm growing towards the Lord, do I portray that attitude among my brothers and sisters in Christ? Do I portray those aspects in attitude toward my coworkers, even the one that gets on my nerves? And what about fellow students at school and even the one that's really hard to get along with and, and neighbors around us, can we say that we do that? Well, if we're gonna be unified as a body of Christ, notice in verse three, he says endeavoring. That word endeavoring is, is like every ounce of your being. In other words, you're striving. It's like a racehorse trying to nudge his nose across the finish line as he's exerting every ounce of his energy. Endeavoring to do what? Endeavoring to keep the unity Oneness, unity of the spirit and what? The bond of peace. And that word bond is like ligaments. It, it's what we think of a joint. And so you have two members of your body and those two members of the body is held together by a, a joint. And this joint, according to verse three, is peace. And, and so like every day, your leg operates as one member, if you will, even though it's made up of several members. But how does it work in such unison? How, how does it work in such a beautiful way? Well, the joint keeps everything working together. Now, I know there's a few of you saying, my leg doesn't work in a beautiful way. And see, that illustrates it. You probably have a bad joint, right? Some of us say, I'm, I'm a candidate for knee surgery. Why? Because the joint isn't working properly. And so the members aren't working properly. And so it affects the whole body. And so when you think about what is the Lord trying to teach us? If we're going to grow to be like Jesus, we need every member working together, but there needs to be a joint, if you will, between each of us. What's that? It's peace. 
We need to have peace between each one of us. Where does that come from? It comes from verse two. It comes from that lowly attitude, that humble attitude, that gentleness. And even when someone gets on our last nerve, that's the long suffering. It's the forbearing with one another. It's not only a unity of attitude, it's a unity of doctrine. The next three verses gives us the seven ones. Three of those are of the Godhead. And then he mentions the one body. And then he mentions the one hope of the calling and one faith and one baptism. And so if we're going to be moving toward Christ, we can't just teach whatever we want to teach. We can't go with something because it's convenient, because it's what I've always believed. And we have to go back to the Lord, to his doctrine, to his teachings and everything. So as we're growing, whether it's a good day or a difficult day, what does our attitude have to be? Isn't that interesting? He doesn't say, well, listen, if you've just gone through the worst days of your life, don't worry about your attitude. No, we do have to be worried about our attitude. Not worried, but just discipline. What do I do during the most difficult times? Have the right attitude. Follow the right teachings. We have young people here that for very good reason are hurting very deeply. What's the answer? Stay with God. Do the right thing. And God, He won't get you through it. He will grow you through it. So you'll be someone stronger as you pass through this. And I know sometimes we want just real, real detailed, easy answers. And a lot of the time life doesn't give us easy answers, but God gives us answers. And the answer is to stay with Him. And so we, we think about our attitude and we think about, well, what doctrine am I going to follow? But then notice this in, in verse 7. To each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Now, if we had time, we'd back up to 1 Peter 4 and 10, but we don't have time. But that's where he talks about that God's given each one of us a gift, and it's by the manifold grace of God that that gift is given to us. So everybody here has an ability. God has given everybody here ability and literally places it under the category of it's part of the grace of God. Isn't it wonderful? Now, this is just one quick loop back to this morning's lesson. Isn't it wonderful that God's given everybody here not only an opportunity to be a part of his fellowship, but he gives you the opportunity to be a contributing part of the fellowship. In other words, you can bring something to the table. You can fulfill an ability in, 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 in a need that is in the life of a church family. And so notice, he's going to introduce this, but isn't this wording interesting? Look at verse 8. This is what just used to kind of baffle me. In verse 8, therefore he says, talking about Jesus, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive. Notice that phrase. He led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. What did he lead captive? Captivity. Jesus first descended he became poor so that we might be rich. In other words, he took on the wages of our sin so that we might be considered sinless, redeemed, sanctified. And what did he do when he ascended? He took captivity captive. 
You know that country song that was out a while back, Long Black Train? Imagine Jesus dying on the cross and resurrecting from the grave and imagine him being the engineer of a long black train. And imagine whatever sin, whatever temptation that you struggle with. And the Lord says, I'll redeem you. I'll save you. I will take what's been holding you in captivity and I'll take the captivity captive. In 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 24, he speaks, then shall come the end. And he talks about Jesus coming again. And he talks about that he's going to put down at the end of time, he's going to destroy every enemy that was against man. In other words, at the end of time, I suppose that we may get to witness this. We may get to see this. But nevertheless, it is going to happen that every sin, you name whatever vice that, that has hurt you in your life. Maybe someone else has committed it. Maybe someone else has struggled with it and it hurts you. Maybe you're struggling with it. You imagine whatever temptation, those things that, that you do and right when you do them, you look back and say, why do I struggle with that? Lord, forgive me. Isn't heaven going to be wonderful for a lot of reasons? And one of those reasons is going to be that captivity is going to be on a train of destruction and it exists no more in heaven. Captivity will be taken captive. That is an amazing thought. To a degree, nothing like at the end, but to a degree, we can enjoy that now when we become Christians. Before we become Christians, we're in the bondage of sin. We become a Christian in the blood of Jesus Christ as we are immersed into the waters of baptism, frees us from that bondage of sin. And so the captivity is being taken captive. Now, if in fact that's what's being taught there, why does that one little short verse end with, and gave gifts to men? Isn't that interesting that he's going to go on in verse 11 and talk about what some of those gifts were that he gave to the first century church. See in 11, and he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers and continues writing. But isn't it interesting, he says, let's link these two thoughts. I can use individuals that have gifts in my service, if captivity has been taken captive in their life. You will never have enough ability that it will compensate for a lack of integrity. Who can the Lord use? The Lord can use those individuals that have allowed captivity to be taken captive. He's given everybody an ability, but He can use those that the captivity is out of their life. What does that mean? The emphasis again on we can grow if we do the right thing. 
Stay in the faith. Stay with Him. You're going through a good day? Be a person of integrity. In other words, if we were going to list all three of these as we just studied them tonight, whether it's a good day or a bad day, have the right attitude. Whether it's a good day or a bad day, follow the right teachings. Whether it's a good day or a bad day, live a moral life. Where does that lead us? A perfect example of that, and if you will, turn to Psalm 78. A perfect example of that is the psalmist. Speaking of David. And notice in 72 is what we're going to lead to, but I'd, I'd like for us to begin at verse 70. In Psalm 78, look at verse 70. He also chose David, his servant. This is God choosing David, his servant, to become king. But notice where he found him. He also chose David, his servant, and took him from the sheepfold and from following the ewes that had young, he brought him. Now, have you pictured this in your mind? God is looking for a king. And God tells us about him looking for a king. And how does he describe him? He says, let me tell you what I did. I went out and found a man that I had prepared. Oh, really? You prepared a man to become king? Yes. What did you do? I let him follow ewes around that were having young. And notice, to shepherd Jacob, his people, and Israel, his inheritance. So he shepherded them according to the integrity of his heart and guided them by the skillfulness of his hands. Now we're back to the two things that Paul talked about to the first century church in Ephesus. Here's David. He did a tremendous job. Now, on, on a timeline, think about David being out here taking care of sheep and any of you that have grown up on a farm. I, I never cared for sheep, but I know what it is to take care of animals that are having young. That means you're up at odd hours of the day or night. That means you're staying up when it's raining, when it's cold, when it's snowing. That means you're getting your hands dirty and nasty. That means you're getting an experience. It's probably not the experience that people would think would prepare a king, but he's getting an experience. And so now we fast forward, and here's this man that people say, this is one of the greatest kings that's ever lived. And God says, yes, I did that. What do you mean you did that? Well, I started forming him. Remember back to our introduction tonight? I started forming him to get him ready to be king by letting him take care of yous when they were having their young. And now today, you know him of a man who has a heart of integrity. He's the real deal. He's moral. He's faithful. And he has skillfulness in his hands. Who gave him that ability? God gave it to him. And God grew him into that. Since we're running out of time, let me just mention a few passages to you. When he was chosen to be king, it's recorded in 1 Samuel, the 16th chapter. And remember, the older brothers were brought out and Samuel kept saying, because God kept telling him, this isn't the one. And finally, God says, listen, you're looking on the outward appearance, man. I look upon the heart. And finally, David was brought in and he says, that's the man. All right, so he started out in the shepherd's field and then they found out it was the heart that God was looking for. He stood before Goliath. And do you remember what he brought up? You remember, he said, I'm a great giant slayer. That's all I've been training for. No, he had no idea that he was a giant slayer, but you, knew, you remember what he said that he did know? He knew about taking care of sheep, and he stands before Saul to give his explanation of why he should be allowed to go out and defend 
God's people and defeat the enemy of God. And remember what he says in 34? David says, this is 1 Samuel 17. David says to Saul, your servant used to keep his father's sheep. And when a lion or a bear came and took a lamb out of the flock, I went out after it and struck it and delivered the lamb from its mouth. And when it rose against me, I caught it by the beard and I struck it and killed it. Your servant has killed both lion and bear. And this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, seeing he has defied the army of the living God. Moreover, David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. He's standing before a giant. And what does he lean upon? God's prepared me for this. How? The previous things in my life. He got me ready for this. We can read about that same thing when we look about in 2 Samuel 7 and 8, it talks about him being a leader and God again refers to the fact he trained him to be a leader by training or leading sheep. But then finally, the one I'll mention here is in um, 1 Chronicles, the 21st chapter. Do you remember when David gave the census and he wasn't supposed to do that and God was gonna punish him and the people? And do you remember David's response? This is way down here now, but think about the timeline looking back. And David said, this is 1 Samuel 21, 17. David said to God, was it not I who, committed the, the, uh, who commanded the people to be numbered? I am the one who has sinned and done evil indeed. But the sheep, that have, what have they done? Let your hand, I pray, O Lord my God, be against me and my father's house, but not against your people that they should be plagued. You see, he's going back to his mind saying, God, I'm like the shepherd. Don't blame the sheep. I'm the leader. If I've done wrong, don't punish them. Where do you find leaders today that's willing to take that responsibility? When's the last time you've seen a political leader today take the responsibility and say, don't blame somebody else, that's my fault. When's the last time you've seen somebody in your corporation stand up and say, don't blame somebody else, that's my fault. We ought to be those people. Because we ought to have experiences in our life where God has grown us through them. But our problem is, our human nature is we want the easy way out. All we want is to go through things. We don't want to grow through it. You know, last night, I don't know if it'd be called coincidence or what, but as you can imagine, I was feeling pretty sentimental with all that's happened. And I was looking through a filing cabinet and I noticed a file that I'd not pulled out in years. And it, it was a file that I've kept some of my mother's letters in, uh, some of the letters that she has written throughout the years. And so I just sat and read a few of them. And in 1996, I'd been in full-time ministry for about six years at that time. And she was writing me a letter about a bulletin article that I had written about, it sounds strange, but it, it was entitled Dead Calves. And you may have heard me talk about raising hosting calves. And one particular year, they all started dying. And, and it, it was difficult for a young boy to go through. And so I wrote that article to illustrate that when things are alive, they have needs and you have responsibilities. But when things are dead, you're carefree. And, and so if we're part of a live and a growing church, we're going to have responsibilities. And that's really a good thing. The bad thing is when there's no needs, there's no responsibilities, things are dying. And my mother read this and 
course, she read it from a mother's standpoint, remembering those days in my life. And she wrote me this, and I just thought it was amazing that I had been studying this lesson and then found this letter that I had forgotten all about. And, and she says, picking up here in the middle, she says, as I reread Dead Calves recently, I was struck with such a strong mental vision as you related cradling the dead calves in your lap. I saw you taking care of, uh, I saw you uh, cradling your dear dog Smokey in your lap in the back of our station wagon as we drove him to the vet after Smokey was struck by a vehicle. And now I see you taking care of members of your congregation. And she writes on a little more there. And then she says, now keep in mind this is from a mother's perspective, how painful those times of cradling dead calves and dying dogs as you were growing up. How it hurt to see you hurt at those times. How little did I know that those experiences were preparing you to cradle and hold the hearts and spirits of a congregation of God's people when they're struck with accident, sickness, and disease. I don't read that, as you know, because I'm unique. I read that because I believe that's the way God works with every one of us. We're a piece of clay in God's hands. And if we have a heart that says, God, it doesn't matter what happens, I'm staying with you. And I'm not going to get through this, I'm going to grow through this. And God, I believe that you're preparing me, and I trust you, and I put my faith in you, and I'm going to have the right attitude as I go through this. I'm going to stay with you doctrinally as I go through this. And Lord, I'm going to stay with you morally in my behavior. And whatever you're preparing me for, let's be a partner. Because I want you to be glorified. Do you agree that this journey is not really about you and I at all? It's really not. If we're children of God, this journey is all about God. And whatever He needs me to learn, and however He needs to mold me, let's be pliable. Let's be submissive. And whatever we do, let's not get by. Let's grow. This evening, are you with God? so you can grow. If you've never been immersed in Christ for the remission of your sins, that is a decision that you really need to make. As a believer willing to repent, won't you make that decision tonight? Maybe you've been baptized into Christ and right now you don't See yourself with God. You see yourself in captivity again. You know the Lord wants to take your captivity captive. And what a wonderful gift that is that God offers. We don't deserve it. Uh, his grace and His mercy, He offers it. If you need to repent of sins and confess sins, if we can help you in any way, come as we stand as we sing.